If you want to turn in your Bibles, probably know where you can turn. I'm going to hit a lot of scripture. You could do Ephesians 2, but you can also always go to notes.gatewaypeople.com and it'll take you right to you version where my notes are. Uh, we've been in a series called God Is, and I've been talking about the attributes of God, but not as much from a theological standpoint, even though I am explaining the theology behind these attributes, but from a practical standpoint of how these attributes work out in our lives. And if you remember, I'm telling you a true story with every message and basing my title on that true story that I'm telling you. For instance, the, the uh, first one, I talked about um, enjoy the ride. Matter of fact, I was just there thinking, uh, don't, we don't have the camera right down here, but just go ahead and do it. James, just stand up. You're holding Mitchell right there. So James and Mitchell, stand up with Mitchell. Stand up with Mitchell. Hold Mitchell up. So turn that way. <laughs> so you can tell Mitchell's already gone to notes.gatewaypeople.com, see? So he's, he's getting ready for the service or playing a game. One or the other, but um, that's all right. So enjoy the ride. And what we talked about was since God is all-powerful and all-good, why don't we enjoy life more as believers, you know? And we talked about those attributes. The second one was, I'll arrange it. Remember, we talked about the father giving his life for the young girl. And we talked about justice and mercy and how God is fully just and fully merciful at the same time. And uh, the third one, we talked about beyond you. Since God is the supreme ruler of the universe and God is faithful, why would you ever worry or be troubled even though everything God has called us to do is beyond us. It's okay because God does it. So here's the title of this one, and I'll show you at the end of the message a true story. And the title is, I'm in the chair. And you won't understand that until we get to the end of the message, but then you will, and you'll probably never forget it. I'm in the chair. And we're going to talk about one of God's attributes today, and that is grace. It is not just that God has grace, it is God is grace. And that's about, that's all of his attributes. In other words, he doesn't just have mercy, he is mercy. If he just had it, he might run out. But he'll never run out because he is love. He is mercy, he is grace. You see what I'm saying? So we're gonna talk about grace. So in order to do that, let me remind you of the working definitions. These are working definitions, or practical definitions, I should say, of justice and mercy, and then I'll tell you that working definition of grace. So justice is giving us what we deserve. Giving us what we deserve. And we've already talked about justice and mercy. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. And if you missed that message, uh, it's called I'll Arrange It. It was a few weeks ago. And I showed how God is fully just and fully merciful at the same time. So justice is giving us what we deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. So let me give you some practical what I mean by that. Justice is send, sending us to hell. That would be just. Mercy is not sending us to hell. And grace is sending us to heaven. I want you to get that, not letting us go, making us go. You, you're, when you pass away, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have no choice. You have to go to heaven. You just have to go to heaven. 
So, uh, but there's a lot of misunderstanding about grace, and here's the problem. If you add in your mind, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously, if you add 1% works to grace, it's not grace. It is not grace plus works that gets us to heaven. It, it, it actually breaks my heart. Paul said it this way. If, if, it, if it is, he's, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. And it, it, I, when I was telling them this, I started crying this week. I was explaining to her, Christ, here's, what, here's what Paul says. Then Christ died in vain. In other words, if we can get there by our own merit, Christ died in vain. And um, I promise you, uh, even your right, let me say it another way, even your righteousness is as filthy rags. The best thing about you looks like your garage rags in the sight of God's righteousness. So it's 100% grace. Uh, but there's a, a popular teaching going around now that grace is divine enablement. In other words, grace enables you to live the right way, and you better live the right way or you'll be in trouble. And there's a real problem with that, and, and let me explain something too. It's amazing how these things come around, and when you've been around for a while like I have, um, you know, my, I was actually talking to my, one of my sons about this. He said, this is a big thing now, Dad. Grace is divine enablement. I said, yeah, it was a big thing 35 years ago when I was in college, or 38 or whenever it was, sometime all ago, okay? Uh, and it was a big thing uh, in the 50s. It was a big movement in the 19, right at the turn of the century. I can go through it. Matter of fact, in the first century, it was big. And it's, it's basically what Paul had to combat in nearly all of his letters. That you can't add anything. Let me say it this way. Jesus plus nothing, Jesus minus nothing equals salvation. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. So I have a friend of mine who is a good friend and a good Bible teacher, good Bible teacher. Uh, but he and I don't see eye to eye on grace. But that doesn't mean we can't still be friends. You don't have to agree with everyone in the body of Christ. Let's have unity in the body of Christ, even though, um, you know, he's, he's wrong and I'm right. But it's okay. You can still be friends, okay? But um, we were talking about it, and I told him, I can't endorse your teaching on grace. Because it's, it's just not correct. And so he said, well, hey, let's get together and talk about it. And I know you're a theologian, Pastor Robert, and I would like to, if I'm off, I'd love to hear it, you know. And the reason I couldn't endorse it was because he wrote, and he wanted me to endorse this, that grace is like the oars of a boat. And we're in this little boat, and there's a current that's pulling us toward hell, and God gives us these oars, and if we row hard enough, then we can row, beat the current, and get to heaven. But if we ever stop rowing, then we'll just drift to hell. That was his definition of grace. And uh, I said, I just, I can't, I can't endorse that. I can't agree with that. So we got together to talk, and he said, well, I want to, I said, share with me your, your, everything you believe about grace, and then we'll talk. So he said, he said, well, I think we missed it in the church. And he said, I sent out a, a survey to 100 pastors, all of them answered, and 99, I said, what is grace? 99% of them said something like unmerited favor. 
which is the classical definition and the correct definition, by the way. Uh, but one, only one of them said divine enablement. And he said, so I think we're missing it. And then he, he went through why he believed that. And then you know how when someone's trying to convince you, then they kind of go through it again. And again, this is a good guy. He's a great guy, great husband, great father. He's a great Bible teacher, except this one area. He, he doesn't understand grace. And so he kind of goes through it again. And then he said to me, okay, and he said, Dr. Morris, and I only use that when we graduate students, you know, but anyway, he said, that's okay, Dr. Morris, um, am I wrong? And I said, 100%. Not even 99% wrong, you're 100% wrong. And I said, let's just start with your survey. You asked what grace is. You didn't ask what grace does. Let me say that again. You asked what grace is. It is unmerited favor. If you had asked what does grace do, one of the things that grace does is divinely enable us to walk a new life in Christ. Are y'all following this? So yes, that is something grace does, and although we'll never be perfect, it does enable us to walk a new life in Christ, but that's not what it is. What it is is the unmerited favor of God, and the unmerited, unearned, undeserved, unlimited favor of God is what causes you to want to walk that new life in Christ. See, so that's what it is. So we're going to go through, through three things. Uh, we're going to talk about unmerited, unearned, and unlimited. All right? So here's number one. Unmerited, unmerited favor is what we're talking about. What is grace? Unmerited. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. This is, this is, these verses are so clear. I wish you'd memorize them and say them 40 times a day to yourself. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Isn't that clear? Let, let, me, let me tell you this. You may boast on this earth, but the moment you see the nail prints in his hands, you will never brag again. You will never boast that you got there by rowing harder than someone else. You won't be walking around heaven saying, I rowed and I got myself here. And basically what you're saying is, for by me, I was saved. If you believe in works, you're the one that got saved. And when, you know, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, uh, former slave ship owner, totally repented for his sins, understood the atrocity of his sins, wrote the, the hymn, the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. Listen, if you believe that rowing gets you to heaven, then grace isn't amazing, you're amazing. Well, th this is good preaching. If y'all don't know that, good, if you don't know how to recognize good preaching, this is good preaching. Grace is amazing. You are not amazing. Grace is amazing. For people who have sinned and fallen short of God to be forgiven of all of their sins and get to go to heaven because of a gift from Jesus Christ, that's what's amazing. So don't put your works in it. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. There will be no boasting in heaven. It is completely, totally unmerited. Um, when Josh, my oldest son, who's planted the table church now in Austin, um, when he was in junior high, 
uh, he, they got their yearbooks. And then during study hall, you know how junior high kids are, you know. Uh, they got this idea to draw mustaches and beards on all the pictures of the teachers. And so they did with, with ink, with their pens. And uh, he, he realized, he's very tenderhearted, he kind of realized he'd kind of gotten caught up in something and that he made a mistake. And he got home that night and I could tell something was bothering him. I said, what's bothering you? And he brought me his yearbook and he had tears in his eyes. And he showed it to him and he said, I, I ruined my yearbook. I ruined my yearbook, Dad. And I said to him, son, We'll just go buy another one. You did ruin it, but we'll go buy another one. And he said, why are you doing this? I said, I just want you to know that even when we do something stupid, when we come to the Father, the Father will always take care of it. Always. I, I raised my kids erring on the side of grace. <laughs> if I was going to be too much one way or the other, it was going to be, I was going to be too gracious. Because that's the way God has been with me my whole life. And I just want you to know, even grace covers even stupid sins. Now, I could ask you, how many of you have done something stupid? I could ask you, and I could ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to, because we all know. But let me tell you something else grace covers that some people don't think it covers. It covers intentional sin. I don't have time to go through all the verses to show that it does, but listen to me, and there's one verse that's totally misinterpreted, totally taken out of context in this area. But I just ask you, have you ever intentionally sinned? Have you ever known it was wrong and done it anyway? You better hope grace covers it, otherwise you're going to hell. Don't make me make you raise your hands. <laughs> and by the way, if I said, how many of you have intentionally sinned and you didn't raise your hand, you're intentionally lying. <laughs> so grace is unmerited. Here's number two. It's unearned. It's unearned. We don't earn it. Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying there's no way it can be both. Because grace is unearned and works is when you earn it. Grace is a gift, it's free, and works is when you earn it. So he says if it's free, it can't be earned. And if it's earned, it can't be free. You cannot have it, not even 99%, 1%. It's either free or it's earned. It's one or the other. If, if your employer comes to you when it's payday, at the end of the week, two weeks, month, whatever it is, let's just say it's in two, every two weeks, and your employer comes to you and gives you a paycheck and says, I'd like to give you this as a gift. You might not say it, but you would think, this thing a gift, pal, I worked for this. I was here at eight and stayed till after five some days, right? I earned it. But if another employer where you don't work, where you've never worked, gives you a paycheck, that's a gift. 
Are, are, are y'all following me? It's, it's one or the other. And grace is a gift. Gifts are free. You've never had someone give you a gift and you say, oh, thank you. And they say, that'd be $86, please. <laughs> well, then it's not a gift, you know? Um, all of my kids, when they were in college, they all had one of my credit cards for emergencies, gas, things like that, you know? And I remember one Christmas, I opened up this present from Elaine and I said, Elaine, this is beautiful. She said, I put it on your card. <laughs> So all gifts, except from your children, are free. I don't know if you ever opened up a gift from your children when they're young, and you have two questions nearly always. First of all, what is it? And second of all, how much did this cost me? But with Jesus, it's paid in full. So let me give you just a little Greek here. Um, The Greek word for... Uh, grace is actually pronounced haris, but you've seen it spelled charis, right? We've seen charis. Some, some uh, parents name their daughters charis. It means grace. It's, it's good. That's our English pronunciation. Greek would be haris, like that. And you'd almost roll your R, but I can't do that. Haris, all right? But charis. I actually have a friend of mine. He said to me, I'm thinking about naming, we're thinking about naming our daughter charis. And I said, Personally, I wouldn't do that if, y'all, if I were y'all. And he said, why? I said, well, because your last name is Maddox. <laughs> Karis Maddox. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> That's one of those that takes a while to, you know. Oh, charismatics. Okay, all right. So... But the point is, it's the Greek word haris. Now, let me explain something to you about this Greek word. This was, this was a cultural Greek word, like most Greek words that were in the culture hundreds of years before they were ever in the Bible. We have Greek words that come from uh, Greek, uh, Greek sports, like let the Holy Spirit rule in your heart. That's the word for umpire in a sporting event. Let the, let the Holy Spirit tell you whether this is safe or out for you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you. So there are all these words in Greek that you need to know where they came from. So I'm going to tell you where haris came from. Haris comes from, it's a gift given to an inferior from a superior. That's what it means. A gift given to an inferior from a superior. But there's one major difference. It involves three persons, three people, not two. There is a Greek word that involves a gift being given to a person, and it involves only two people, and it's where we get our word, our English word, benevolence, okay? And so if you took these three people now in Greek, I'm not saying these are great English words, but if you took them in Greek and you translated them, they would be the patron, the client, and the uh, broker. Those are the three that make up the, the, the action of haris or charis or grace, okay? The patron, the client, and the broker. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let's say the patron has a shoe company, and uh, there's someone who needs shoes. And so if the patron, the guy that owns the shoe company, gives the shoes directly to the family, that would be the word we call benevolence. That's benevolent. But that is not the word 
that the Holy Spirit uses to describe grace. He uses this word, which here's what would happen. There was a broker. The broker was a person of great wealth himself, had great means, but he chose to live among the poor people. And he would find the needs that they had, and then he would go to the patrons, the people who had the shoes or the clothing or the food or the, the housing materials, whatever the need was, but here's the difference. He didn't ask them to donate it. He paid for it himself. I hope you're getting this. This is the word used for grace because Jesus chose to come and live among us and pay for what we got from the Father. He paid for it himself. He became our broker or our advocate between God. And then here's the third word, unlimited. Unlimited. John 1.16 says, for of all his fullness, for, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Many people have no clue what this phrase means. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Some say grace for grace. Well, how do you receive grace for grace? Okay, again, you have to go to the original language. This word upon, which is translated forward, some translations, literally means over and over again. So it says, of his fullness, now remember, God is infinite. So of his fullness of grace, because the context here is, is that Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's the verse right before this. And of his fullness, we have all received grace over and over and over and over again. That's what this actually means. And, and let me just ask you a question again to help prove this to you. Can you count the number of times you've been forgiven? <laughs> Even for the same thing. It's unlimited. It's grace. See, because God is grace, and because God is infinite, his grace is unlimited. It'll never run out. This is what Paul had to fight over and over again. They kept trying to add things to grace. Paul wrote 13 epistles, 13 letters. That's what epistle means, letter. It doesn't mean the wife of an apostle. It means a letter, okay? That's an epistle. Um, he wrote uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So he wrote... Um, um, 13 epistles, all right? I'm sitting here thinking, did I name them all? If I didn't, um, I'll just go back in the studio and edit that, and <laughs> we'll show a picture of y'all clapping while I'm naming those 13 books. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I did, I named them, man. I named them, okay, so, all right. So, but here's what you might not know. He begins every epistle with grace, and he ends every epistle with grace. And I'm going to do it quickly, and I'm going to kind of keep shortening them because the sentences, the first sentence is almost the same, and the last sentence is almost the same uh, as we get into this. Romans 1, first chapter of Romans, through him we receive grace. 
Last chapter of Romans, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First chapter of 1 Corinthians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Last chapter of 1 Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Second Corinthians, grace to you, and then he goes on, and peace from God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The last chapter of 2 Corinthians, grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. First chapter of Galatians, grace to you. Last chapter of Galatians, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. First of Ephesians, grace to you. Last of Ephesians, grace be with those who love our Lord Jesus. First of Philippians, grace to you. Last of Philippians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First of Colossians, grace to you. Last of Colossians, grace be with you. First of Thessalonians, grace to you. Last of First Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. First of Second Thessalonians, grace to you. Last of Second Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First of First Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Last verse in First Timothy 6, grace be with you. First of Second Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. Last of Second Timothy, grace be with you. First of Titus, grace, mercy, and peace. Last of Titus, grace be with you all. First of Philemon, grace to you. Last of Philemon, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You start with grace and you end with grace. I'm confident, I'm confident of this one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. You got saved by grace, and you're going to stay saved by grace. It's completely and totally of his grace. Now, I want to show you, I want to show you a picture of grace. And in a moment, it'll make sense, the title of the message. Dick and Judy Hoyt had a son named Rick Hoyt. When Rick was born, the umbilical cord was around his neck and his oxygen supply was cut off for an extended time. And the doctors told them he will never walk or talk and you should institutionalize him. But they decided not to. When he was 10 years old, some engineers developed, and this was, by the way, in 1973. So thinking about the technology back then. They developed a computer because they found out that Rick was extremely intelligent and Judy, his mother, taught him how to read, uh, but then taught him the alphabet and he could do it with his eyes by looking at letters, but he couldn't walk hard talk. So then they developed a computer where he could look at a letter and bump like a big mouse thing and click that letter and he could learn to spell and write sentences and then the computer would actually talk. That technology now is all over the world helping handicapped people, but they invented it for this young man. And it's been advanced many times. When he was 15 years old, one of his classmates was in an accident and paralyzed, and they were going to run a um, 5K to raise money for him. And he, through the computer, said to his father, I want to run in that race. So his father, who was not a runner, who served as a lieutenant colonel in our armed forces, decided to train so he could push his son in a wheelchair. He got a 100-pound sack of concrete and put it in a wheelchair and would run every day while his son was at school. By the way, once they developed that computer, Rick was able to go to public school, graduate from high school, and then graduate from college as well. So his father pushed him in that race, and after the race, through the computer, he told his father... When I'm running, 
It's the first time, it's the only time I don't feel handicapped. So his father kept doing this. Now, they have run in 72 marathons. And 257 triathlons. A triathlon is 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles of cycling, and 26.2 miles, which is a marathon, at the end of that of running. When Rick, the son, swims, he's in a little raft, and Dick, his father, is pulling him swimming in the water. When Rick rides the cycle, he's in a chair specially designed for him on the front of the bicycle while his father pedals. When Rick runs, he's in a chair that his father pushes. So I want to show you a picture of grace. Watch this. The sun, where to stand in the morning, and who told the ocean you can only come this far? And who showed the moon where to hide till
I'm in the chair. And so are you. Every finish line we cross is because the Father has been pushing us and pulling us and carrying us. And all he's asking you to do is get in the chair. As a matter of fact, you can't even get in the chair. Actually, he's just asking you to let him put you in the chair. That's grace. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to just take a moment and thank God for grace. Just thank him for his grace in your life. He's been pushing you this whole way. Pulling and carrying you. Once you made the decision to let him put you in the chair. God is grace. He's never going to run out. It's completely unmerited, unearned, and unlimited. But because Jesus paid for it, it's paid in full. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. 